The source of the speeches I use here on the Choice Voice podcast comes from a list of the top 100 American speeches of the 20th century. This list is compiled by researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Texas A&M University, among other places. It reflects the opinions of 137 leading scholars of American public address. My choice of speeches should not be construed to reflect or promote any point of view. They are simply considered great speeches. Today's speech is by former President Theodore Roosevelt, given on the 14th of April, 1906. It is frequently known as the man with the muckrake. The official title is Address of President Roosevelt at the laying of the cornerstone of the office building of the House of Representatives. Over a century ago, Washington laid the cornerstone of the Capitol in what was then little more than a tract of wooded wilderness here beside the Potomac. We now find it necessary to provide by great additional buildings for the business of the government. This growth in the need for the housing of the government is but a proof and example of the way in which the nation has grown and the sphere of action of the national government has grown. We now administer the affairs of a nation in which the extraordinary growth of population has been outstripped by the growth of wealth and the growth in complex interests. The material problems that face us today are not such as they were in Washington's time, but the underlying facts of human nature are the same now as they were then. Under altered external form, we war with the same tendencies toward evil that were evident in Washington's time, and are helped by the same tendencies for good. It is about some of these that I wish to say a word today. In Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you may recall the description of the man with the muckrake. The man who could look no way but downward, with the muckrake in his hand, who was offered a celestial crown for his muckrake, but who would neither look up nor regard the crown he was offered, but continued to rake to himself the filth of the floor. In Pilgrim's Progress, the man with the muckrake is set forth as the example of him whose vision is fixed on carnal instead of on spiritual things. Yet he also typifies the man who in this life consistently refuses to see aught that is lofty and fixes his eyes with solemn intentness only on that which is vile and debasing. Now, it is very necessary that we should not flinch from seeing what is vile and debasing. There is filth on the floor, and it must be scraped up with the muckrake. And there are times and places where this service is the most needed of all the services that can be performed. But the man who never does anything else, who never thinks or speaks or writes, save of his feats with the muckrake, speedily becomes not a help to society, not an incitement to good, but one of the most potent forces to evil. There are, in the body politic, economic and social, many and grave evils, and there is urgent necessity for the sternest war upon them. There should be relentless exposure of and attack upon every evil man, whether politician or businessman, every evil practice, whether in politics, in business, or in social life. I hail as a benefactor every writer or speaker, every man who, on the platform or in book, magazine, or newspaper, with merciless severity makes such attack provided always that he in his turn remembers that the attack is of use only if it is absolutely truthful. The liar is no whit better than the thief, 
and if his mendacity takes the form of slander, he may be worse than most thieves. It puts a premium upon knavery untruthfully to attack an honest man, or even, with hysterical exaggeration, to assail a bad man with untruth. An epidemic of indiscriminate assault upon character does not good, but very great harm. The soul of every scoundrel is gladdened whenever an honest man is assailed, or even when a scoundrel is untruthfully assailed. Now it is easy to twist out of shape what I have just said, easy to affect to misunderstand it, and, if it is slurred over in repetition, not difficult really to misunderstand it. Some persons are sincerely incapable of understanding that to denounce mudslinging does not mean the endorsement of whitewashing, and both the interested individuals who need whitewashing and those others who practice mudslinging like to encourage such confusion of ideas. One of the chief counts against those who make indiscriminate assault upon men in business or men in public life is that the invite reaction, which is sure to tell powerfully in favor of the unscrupulous scoundrel who really ought to be attacked, who ought to be exposed, who ought, if possible, to be put in the penitentiary. We'll finish reading after this quick break. Now, back to where we left off. If Aristides is praised over much as just, people get tired of hearing it. An over-century of the unjust finally and from similar reasons results in their favor. Any excess is almost sure to invite a reaction, and unfortunately, the reaction, instead of taking the form of punishment of those guilty of the excess, is very apt to take the form either of punishment of the unoffending or of giving immunity and even strength to offenders. The effort to make financial or political profit out of the destruction of character can only result in public calamity. Gross and reckless assaults on character, whether on the stump or in newspaper, magazine, or book, create a morbid and vicious public sentiment, and at the same time act as a profound deterrent to able men of normal sensitiveness and tend to prevent them from entering the public service at any price. As an instance and in point, I may mention that one serious difficulty encountered in getting the right type of men to dig the Panama Canal is the certainty that they will be exposed, both without, and I am sorry to say, sometimes within, Congress, to utterly reckless assaults on their character and capacity. At the risk of repetition, let me say again that my plea is, not for immunity to, but for the most unsparing exposure of the politician who betrays his trust, of the big businessman who makes or spends his fortune in illegitimate or corrupt ways. There should be a resolute effort to hunt every such man out of the position he has disgraced. Expose the crime and hunt down the criminal, but remember that even in the case of crime, if it is attacked in sensational, lurid, and untruthful fashion, the attack may do more damage to the public mind than the crime itself. It is because I feel that there should be no rest in the endless war against the forces of evil that I ask that the war be conducted with sanity as well as with resolution. The men with the muckrakes are often indispensable to the well-being of society, but only if they know when to stop raking the muck and to look upward to the celestial crown above them, to the crown of worthy endeavor. There are beautiful things above and round about them, and if they gradually grow to feel that the whole world is nothing but muck, their power of usefulness is gone. If the whole picture is painted black, there remains no hue whereby to single out the rascals for distinction from their fellows. Such painting finally induces a kind of moral color blindness, 
and people affected by it come to the conclusion that no man is really black and no man really white, but they are all gray. In other words, they neither believe in the truth of the attack nor in the honesty of the man who is attacked. They grow as suspicious of the accusation as of the offense. It becomes well-nigh hopeless to stir them either to wrath against wrongdoing or to enthusiasm for what is right. And such a mental attitude in the public gives hope to every knave and is the despair of honest men. To assail the great and admitted evils of our political and industrial life with such crude and sweeping generalizations as to include decent men in the general condemnation means the searing of the public conscience. There results a general attitude either of cynical belief in and indifference to public corruption, or else of a distrustful inability to discriminate between the good and the bad. Either attitude is fraught with untold damage to the country as a whole. The fool who has not sense to discriminate between what is good and what is bad is well-nigh as dangerous as the man who does discriminate and yet chooses the bad. There is nothing more distrusting to every good patriot, to every good American, than the hard, scoffing spirit which treats the allegation of dishonesty in a public man as a cause for laughter. Such laughter is worse than the crackling of thorns under a pot, for it denotes not merely the vacant mind, but the heart in which high emotions have been choked before they could grow to fruition. There is any amount of good in the world, and there never was a time when loftier and more disinterested work for the betterment of mankind was being done than now. The forces that tend for evil are great and terrible, but the forces of truth and love and courage and honesty and generosity and sympathy are also stronger than ever before. It is a foolish and timid, no less than a wicked thing, to blink the fact that the forces of evil are strong. But it is even worse to fail to take into account the strength of the forces that tell for good. Hysterical sensationalism is the very poorest weapon wherewith to fight for lasting righteousness. The men who, with stern sobriety and truth, assail the many evils of our time, whether in the public press or in magazines or in books, are the leaders and allies of all engaged in the work for social and political betterment. But if they give good reason for distrust of what they say, if they chill the ardor of those who demand truth as a primary virtue, they thereby betray the good cause and play into the hands of the very men against whom they are nominally at war. So we're sure to be respectful of your time, unlike in a few podcasts where it's okay to go on for a few hours. We'll finish up this story next time. Of course, you can binge episodes, which is kind of the same thing. It just won't be like that every week, so you don't have to worry about fitting it into your schedule. This podcast and our other podcast are productions of Little Red Hen Industries. The supporting cast who helps me bake the bread includes Techno King, John C. Brandy, Fact Checker, Abraham Lincoln, French consultant, Virginia Mitchell, media expert, Favor Obasi E.K., psychologist Sigmund Freud, rabbit hole advisor, Dr. Mark Parrott, sound designer, Guglielmo Marconi, Spanish consultant, Cameron J.K. Brandy, videographer, Alfred Hitchcock, Audio props go to Les Paul. Inspiration goes to Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale, and Bob Proctor. Also, we have a website, and you can subscribe to both podcasts. You can even send us a video, audio, or text message. But, of course, you'll have to head to the show notes, either on your phone or on the web, to actually get links and stuff. I mean, I could read the URLs where you can subscribe, support, or leave one of those video or audio messages, but you really don't want me to do that. They're in the show notes. Finally, you can find us on Podmatch, where we consider guests, as well as consider guesting on other people's pods. And really, finally, 
The music for our pods comes from Cute by Bed Sound and from Piano Background by Nick Salmon Adams, both on freesound.org.